Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on 8. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Victory Monday edition, the October the 23rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. On today's show, the usual Sunday show, I give you guys the five takeaways from the Dolphins' 31-28 win over the New York Jets. I answer your Twitter questions, and we touch briefly on where the Dolphins sit in the current NFL standings, as well as moving forward for the 2017 season. But first, before we get to that, I have to remind you guys to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and drop us a five-star rating and review. Those subscriptions, ratings, reviews are how podcasters are judged. The more we get, the higher up the iTunes chart we go, the more it exposes us to more doll fans and helps the show to continue to grow. Don't forget to check out the Locked On Sports family of podcasts, including the Locked On NFL podcast and the Locked On Heat podcast for local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Lastly, follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Every Tuesday is the GIF dump where I put out about 20 to 30 GIFs of the Dolphins' best and worst plays from the Sunday game. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Check out the website, LockedOnDolphins.com. Tons of current pieces up, tons of pieces coming out. I'm going to be doing a uh, Sunday recap column where I just pretty much empty my notepad from the rewatch. It's a broadcast rewatch, so it gives you a little something before we do the film review on Wednesday. we got some stuff from Mike Jastrzewski coming out as well, talking about potential moves in the offseason. Some stuff from Kevin Dern talking about the defense and what Matt Burke has done. So plenty of good stuff there. Check out that, guys. And also check out profootballfocus.com for your chance to win a free PFF Edge subscription. All you have to do is write a review on this podcast, leave your Twitter handle in there. We'll pick a random winner, one per show per week, Provided we get enough reviews, we've only had a few reviews. I'm only able to pick one at this point. I've handed that out already. He has his PFF Edge subscription. He enjoys it very much. That's JC Bryant on Twitter, so I'm glad you're enjoying that, man. PFF is the premier website in grading NFL players. They, they do the grades, snap counts, positional ranks for you fantasy guys. They have projections, rankings, tools, and all kinds of charts. Great NFL draft coverage with PFF profiles and college stats. Team and player pages. The Pro Football Focus Miami Dolphins page is terrific. Also follow him on Twitter. It's at PFF underscore Miami. Lots of good notes in there as you'll get over the next couple of days as they kind of digest the game further from here. So that's at Pro Football Focus. Check them out. ProFootballFocus.com for your chance to win a free PFF Edge subscription. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the show and probably start the show here for some of you guys that fast forward the initial ads as well as the reminders and everything. But first takeaway from this victory, the Dolphins get the three-point win over the Jets, somehow overcoming a 14-point deficit. Pretty outstanding is, and where else would you go besides the quarterback position? Matt Moore versus Jay Cutler essentially plays... It's essentially got split into two halves. Jay Cutler had the first half, Matt Moore had the second half, and both played pretty good games. 
Jay Cutler had more accuracy and more aggression. He dealt with pressure a lot better, got out a couple of sacks, and turned in some nice big plays after the fact. Also, he's a tough guy. Keeps on getting up after these roughing the passer calls that seem to be happening more and more frequently each week. And then he yields the game to Matt Moore. Jay Cutler with a cracked rib. Sounds like he's going to miss two to three weeks. Not to bury the lead on you guys there, but sounds like he'll be out for a few games, maybe even a month if it doesn't heal properly or quickly enough. But Matt Moore comes into the game ice cold, and they play that way from the first couple of drives. He hands the ball off a lot, doesn't really do a whole lot, has the interception early. It looks like it's not going to really work out. But then he just energizes the offense with some big plays. The offense just seems more capable of attacking down the field with Matt Moore in the game. They go for Jarvis Landry on a big 17-yard catch, a big 28-yard touchdown for Kenny Stills. He gets a couple of uh, connections with Julius Thomas. He gets Leontay Carew involved. Dolphins just picking on Buster screen this game and really taking advantage of some one-on-one matchups with the big play in the passing game. Landry also had a 29-yard pass reception that I did not mention, so nice to see him getting some catches deep down the field. And just Matt Moore, the ability to kind of hang in the pocket until the very last second and then throw a really well-arcing ball that finds the right target and it takes advantage of some of that one-on-one coverage he gets, and he really identifies that nicely. So he has his warts. He had a failed protection call late in the game uh, on the second-to-final drive when the Dolphins looked like they were going to have to go into overtime after a big sack pushed him back a little bit. So he has some things he can clean up at all times. He's, he's a good backup quarterback, very good off the bench in a pinch. We'll see what he's made of now going forward. This looks like it's going to be his team for a couple of weeks, and he'll have a chance to seize this job, I think, that – you know, if he plays well enough to where Adam Gaze can finally kind of take his foot off that stubborn pedal and, and let Matt Moore play some football games, then they're going to do that, and we'll see what happens going forward with Cutler. But right now it's Matt Moore's team. He has a chance to go ahead and uh, and take this take this job and, and see how far he can take this team. He talked about how he was a little bit bitter about losing the job to Jay Cutler after Ryan Tannehill went down. Well, you know, Cutler is a kind of a vulnerable guy when it comes to injuries, and Matt Moore, if he just kept his head in the game, was going to get his chance, and here it is. And he's already one for one in terms of checking the box on good games played. So great quarterback play all around for the Dolphins today and an exciting future with Matt Moore. Takeaway number two was Matt Moore's favorite target on the day. Kenny Stills has a monster day. You might say that only catching six balls for 85 yards and two touchdowns isn't a monster day, but when you consider that he had nine targets to him, so he catches 67% of the passes thrown to him, he's normally a 50% guy, so much higher efficiency there. The 85 yards on nine targets is good for 9.44 yards per target, which is an elite level. It's better than Antonio Brown was last year for those keeping track at home. So very, very good day for Kenny Stills. He also draws a 29-yard pass interference call, two holding calls on the on Buster screen. So he's getting penalty yards in addition to that. So you add up the 30 yards plus 10 more. He's up over 115 yards on the day. If you can include his penalties, he forced on the defense. Just a great job of working, getting open. High point in the football. So he kind of took over Devontae Parker's role as the guy that goes up and gets the ball. And he did it on two different plays. One was a pass interference. And the other, of course, the big play, the circus catch on the first possession of the game. So very big day for Kenny Stills. Nice to see him get off the schneid a little bit and really rebound after a slow start to the season. Next takeaway, his partner, his uh, counterpart over there, his running mate, Jarvis Landry, and how I think he's kind of earning his way into that contract extension. I have been very up and down on his on his play and his style and his game and what should happen with the Dolphins moving forward because he has been somewhat of a, a wild card. And then, you know, he has these games where he really steps up on that final series there, or excuse me, the final few series on the last nine minutes of the game. He has five catches for 53 yards, a couple of big chain movers, a couple, uh, one big play down, down near the goal line. So big day for Jarvis Landry. He did some good stuff in the running game as a run blocker. But the main reason I wrote him down on the list, and number three especially, was because of his post-game interview with Peter Schrager, the guy, the sideline reporter there for the entire game, who famously talked about the Dolphins being an AFC title contender. 
this offseason or back in August, even after Tannehill got hurt, he was re- interviewing uh, Jarvis Landry, who tell, implored him to tell his media members to stop doubting the Dolphins, talking about the brotherhood that they have and how hard they fight together and how they go through all this blood, sweat, and tears for each other. And you can just see that passion, and it really permeates off of Landry and kind of infects the rest of his team with a, a desire to win and play well. So he has that big play, that big personality, that big mentality, and just a guy that I think the Dolphins would be silly to let go at this point. You can't give him the huge money. I hope he understands that, but I hope he can get a second-tier level contract to bring him back home, keep him in Miami, keep this guy you know, as the juice of the offense. Takeaway number four on the game, and this is a guy that he probably doesn't deserve a notch over a lot of guys that played in this game today, and, and I, I think there's one guy in particular that he doesn't for sure, and we'll talk about him in a minute, but Ray Malaluga and what he has meant to this run defense and the way he is fighting off blocks and stacking up stuff inside, he's been very good in that role. Dolphins have won all three games since he first got on the field, so he's been playing very impressively and just kind of bringing a veteran leadership out there and a guy that is in the right spot at the right time, and and he really mitigates some of those big running gaps the Dolphins have allowed. And I talked to Kevin Dern, who who writes for the Lockdown Dolphins website. We are co-pot co-podcast host of the Finalysis podcast back in the day, and he was talking about the Miami Tennessee, sometimes off that edge that Harris, Charles Harris and Andre Branch play, where they'll stunt inside and they get caught inside, and they get pinned in, and there's no edge there to defend, and the, the Jets and Falcons both ripped off big runs off of that edge, and so Kevin was telling me about some of these self-scouting the Dolphins have to do in order to try to hem that stuff back inside, and don't let the edge be compromised, well that's something they need to fix going forward, obviously, but Ray Maluga does a good job of kind of mitigating some of those problems or or preventing some of those big plays. As long as the linebackers can get off blocks and get out there, it's fine. And Malaluga has done a good job in that sense. But yeah, if you guys are looking for a good defensive review of the Dolphins, you know, Kevin Dern, it's at KevinMD4 on Twitter. He gives great breakdowns of the defense. He understands alignments and schemes, coverages, and the whole nine yards. He understands defense very well. So follow him. He should have a piece coming out on Matt Burke's effectiveness coming out here pretty soon on the Lockdown Dolphins website. And let's get into takeaway number five here. And it's nothing to do with the game, really, or the players on the field. It was the actual field itself, the field conditions. And I thought it was kind of strange seeing a lot of the backlash that Tom Garfinkel and some of the other guys that run the Dolphins operation got for this poor field. Because in the past, I actually saw a thing on, I think it was Sports Illustrated a couple weeks ago, talking about the best playing surfaces in the NFL. And the Dolphins were number two behind Tampa Bay. And the Arizona Cardinals were in that top three as well when it comes to top playing surfaces, and those are all natural grass playing surfaces. They all are in warm weather cities, obviously. The Cardinals have that nice piece of grass that comes in and off the actual the actual venue out of the stadium, comes out of the stadium so they can, they can manicure it out there and prevent further damage from it out there. But the Dolphins were number two on that list. I think that obviously the sun helps and the rain and the, the type of climate that encourages grass growth has given them a, a good playing surface for a long time. But all that goes out the window when you have a rainstorm and a college game on Saturday. I know it's tough for scheduling. I, I can't imagine there's any way they can possibly do it to where it's Dolphins, Canes every other week. It just probably does not work out logistically. I understand that. So there are going to be days where you have back-to-back games. And the Dolphins, I think, need to find a way to... I mean, maybe the Canes play on a Friday night. Dolphins play on Sunday. Maybe it's when the Dolphins have a Monday night game. They try to schedule those back-to-backs where there's a day in between so they can get the field ready because today that field was not ready. It did not look good. It was a lot of slipping, and, and it cost both teams on offense some stuff and defense as well. So they, they just got to do something. I don't know what it is because normally this time of year that, that field is bright green. It looks really pretty. The paint really kind of pops off there. But in that game, it was all brown and muddy and just really a gross-looking field, and it definitely affected the way the game was played. 
So we normally do five takeaways here on the Sunday show, but I'm going to give you two bonus ones really quick. One is a negative, one's a positive. The negative is a takeaway from the offensive line and just how bad they were. I went down and rewatched the the broadcast again in my uh, sports watching den, if you will. And the offensive line, I didn't have one good player with a good game. Jawan James had his worst game of the season. Laramie Tunzel needs to get better at the point of attack. And he's his pass protection, for some reason, he just can't recognize when they do delayed blitzes off his edge. He's always helping inside with Anthony Steen. And then around comes the blitzer off the outside and gets in with, with no blocker in his way. Interior offensive line has just been a mess. Jermon Bushrod and Anthony Steen were both terrible in this game. Mike Pouncey had moments, but he also had two flags, a block in the back and a hold that were big. And he just missed a couple of plays otherwise, too. So the offensive line was dreadful in this game but who wasn't dreadful is takeaway number seven and it's strange to say the offensive line was dreadful in a game where they score 31 points when they haven't come close to that all year but it is what it is and the defense is the positive side and I want to talk about their final four series that spanned over the course of the fourth quarter the Jets get the football back with 14 minutes 45 seconds to go in the game in the fourth quarter with a 28 to 14 lead so two score lead 15 minutes to go and the Dolphins go out on defense for four series and these are the stats they allowed during those four drives the Jets ran 10 plays for negative 10 yards. There was two penalties in there, two false starts. They ran the ball six times for 17 yards. They passed the ball twice for negative three yards. They went one for two for negative three yards. The incompletion was, of course, the interception of Bobby McCain, and they surrendered two sacks for negative 18 yards. So 10 plays, negative 10 yards over the course of 15 minutes. Dolphins defense stepped up big when it had to, and that does not include the fifth possession, which was the last two plays of the game where they just kind of razzle-dazzled it. So not including that, negative one yard per play, in the fourth quarter. A fantastic performance from the Dolphins defense. All right, guys, this is the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We're going to get to your Twitter mailbag here in just a second, but I got to remind you again to follow the show at Locked On Fins. Follow me at Wingfield NFL and check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the Sunday review, the notepad, Travis's notepad from the game and the rewatch. So that'll be up as soon as this podcast is up as well. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. All right, let's go ahead and dive into that Twitter mailbag here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And the first question comes from Angel Contreras. That's at A underscore Contreras 88. He asked, besides more coming in, did you see any differences in the coaching to spark the comeback? And I think the answer to that is yes, because of all the one-on-one and the and the man-up matchups that they took advantage of. They identified a pre-snap and got it taken care of, whether it was pretty much anyone at large going after Buster Screen. He had a really rough game, and it was Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, even Anthony Fasano caught a touchdown pass on screen. Even Leonte Crew gets into the action. So they ran a lot of stuff that kind of capitalized on the Jets' aggressive man coverage, and even when they were in zone, they kind of moved them around the zone as well. But that man coverage really killed the Jets in a lot of spots and getting deep on them and, and kind of getting their underneath coverage in trouble having to chase these routes that were really speed routes and open things up. So I think that there was a lot more aggressiveness in the passing game and attacking certain players. Question number two comes from Jeremy. That's at JM Clellan 423 He asks, how good was Gaze's play calling inside the 10-yard line? Again, I thought it was great because of the way they took advantage of the Jets' man coverage. That rub route to Fasano was just a good play that it worked perfectly and got a wide-open touchdown pass. That's called scheming him open. You can't 
all you have to do is simply execute to make that touchdown happen. On the Kenny Stills touchdown that got called back on that rub route, another great job where they Leonte Carew is the one that does it again, the point man that takes care of that pick. He gets inside of his man and really just gets ran into him by the defense. It was a really bad call by the officials, but it's another wide-open touchdown that should have worked out. And then also inside the 10-yard line on the Stills touchdown that did count, was another nice play where they got Stills inside on the nasty split inside. What that means is he's right off the tackle, and he comes on a crossing route right behind the linebacker, who if you go behind the linebacker, you know he can't keep his eyes on the ball and the receiver. So it's easier for the receiver to uncover that way and the quarterback to see it and sell it better on the linebacker. Now Matt Moore made a bad throw. Kenny Stills makes a great catch, but that design was very well done. So that's three plays they designed down inside the 10-yard line that I think that were basically responsible for clearing up wide-open touchdown passes. And then I got two more questions, but they are almost the exact same, and then they are the same topic, and it's from Kadeem Simmons, at Kadeem Simmons, and Mike Farns, at Fish Farns, like that handle, basically asking, where do we go now, Cutler or more? That's what Kadeem asks, and Mike asks, more was a great spark today, do we keep going on with him? And I think the question right now is obviously yes, because of the injury. I don't think that if Cutler was good to go, if it was just a, a bruise or something that he couldn't come back in today's game with, I think you'd see the, them go forward with Cutler, just because Adam Gaze, he... You know, he fancies himself a quarterback whisperer. He's earned that right and that moniker, rightfully so. But I think that he's going to really, <laughs> he's intent to go down with a cutler ship for better or worse this season if, if he's healthy. But what will be interesting to see is when Matt Moore, or, or excuse me, when Jay Cutler gets healthy again and Matt Moore, if he's playing well, I don't know that you can turn back to Jay Cutler. I mean, these guys, you can see the juice and the inspiration they brought. You know, Rashad Jones talked after the game about how they all believe in Matt Moore and they all love Matt Moore. You saw the fan base kind of get excited. And that doesn't mean a whole lot. It means nothing to Adam Gaze. But it does create energy, and I think that's important. And it creates a, a belief that we can do this. I don't know that you would have seen the Dolphins' offense respond the same way when it got down big with Jay Cutler, and I know that's not fair to say because he did last week, but they had a lot of mistakes that they had to overcome and they got lucky with, with a couple of picks that got, one got dropped and was overturned on a penalty. One that did get caught and was overturned on a penalty also. I think that this week there was a lot more big play positive ability and the running game wasn't working at all. It worked in the Atlanta game, 136 yards for JHI. Doesn't work in this game, but the Dolphins are still able to find some offense. I think that Matt Moore gives you a better chance to create big plays, which people will kind of confuse because Jay Cutler has this big arm and can attack down the field, right? But at the same time, Matt Moore just does more with anticipating and getting the ball out of his hands quicker, preventing the big losses, and, and really giving guys good chances to run under passes that are touch throws where he kind of throws it out in front and lets them go out and run underneath it. So I think that he does a better job of creating with big-time playmakers. That's what the Dolphins have, and they've had it for a while, and they've been quiet through the first five games until today they really busted out. So if I had a gun to my head right now, my assumption would be that Matt Moore plays well enough in Cutler's absence to move forward with him, even though he's got some tough defenses coming up with Baltimore on Thursday. That's not going to be an easy task, and Carolina in two weeks on a Monday night. That's a tough defense as well. So we'll see what he can do. If he can get two out of the next three games under his belt with a win, that would be huge for this team. And they could be looking at six and three heading into that Tampa Bay game at home. So if Matt Moore is playing well and the team's winning, they cannot turn back to Cutler. All right. And just briefly here, before we get to the end of the show today, I want to talk about what the Dolphins are looking at ahead in the AFC East as well as the AFC. And you kind of look around the conference and they're appears as though the Pats are kind of returning back to that form as much as it pains me to say they took care of the Falcons in that game tonight it was not close it was never really close at all so the Patriots wipe the floor with the Falcons especially on defense taking care of Matt Ryan that powerful offense just nothing going for him there on that side of the football and then right now if the season ended today I know it's a long season it does not end today but if it did 
the Patriots, Steelers, and Chiefs are all 5-2 and two for that one seed. So the powers at the top of the conference are not quite as good this year, even though you know we'll see what teams round into here as form starts to take place. And it looks like the Pats are back to what they normally are, which is kind of a scary thing for the AFC, which isn't in a down year in the conference in general. We know the AFC South is no good, and there's only going to be one team out of that division that goes to the postseason. The AFC West, Denver is is really struggling right now. The Chargers are back in, into that race again at 3-4. and four. The Raiders are not as good as we thought they'd be. The Chiefs have lost two games in a row, so that division that once looked like a, a powerhouse is now really struggling. Like as, as I mentioned, the AFC South is no good. The AFC North really has one good team. The Steelers played another good game today against the Bengals, took it to them. They are back at 5-2, and two, but the Ravens and Bengals below them are under 500, not playing good football. And then the AFC East, the Jets are pretty much, I would say, with four losses, probably, you know, this is probably the time where their season starts to go the other way, even though they've played so much better than anyone thought they could have. And they gave the Dolphins another good game today after they beat the crap out of them week two, so or week three, excuse me. So the Jets, you know, they're falling behind the eight ball there. But Buffalo at four and two, Miami at four and two. Those Buffalo games late in the year, I think, might determine who gets into the postseason. I think the Bills are playing really good on defense, and Tyrod Taylor's playing well this year. I think that they're going to be in it for the long haul in terms of that 8-9-10 win range. just depends on a couple of bounces here and there. So I think the Dolphins are positioned in a spot where they can possibly get back into the postseason. And I think that if they do, it's it's going to be better experience for this this young roster, more good experience. Back-to-back playoff seasons is a good thing. I don't care, you know, what your expectations are. I mean, obviously it's not for like the Patriots and that kind of thing. For a team that was out of the playoffs the last eight years and just one appearance in the last 16 years, I think back-to-back playoff seasons would be a very welcome change for all Dolphins fans. I know it would for me. So if they can just kind of I think that these next couple of games, if they can get a couple of wins and get to 6-2 and two at the midway point, they'd be really sitting pretty for a playoff run. If they can get just one of the two games and go to 5-3, and three, they're still in position to make a run. The schedule gets pretty tough at the end, but the AFC, I think that 9, 10, 10 wins will definitely get you in. I think 9 might have a shot this year, and we'll see how these teams round into form as you know October comes to a close and then November starts up, and that's when teams really start to show their true identity. But the Dolphins are in that mix right now of that second tier team that could probably, you know, do some damage uh, when it comes to getting into the postseason, maybe winning a game. So who knows? We'll see what happens later on in the future, but that's going to do it for today's show. The five takeaways episode was actually seven takeaways today and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leo's a rating review. Check out the other locked on sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL, follow the show at locked on fins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Be back tomorrow with another edition, the stat review edition of the locked on dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.